It was a Sunday morning during my first month of the senior year of college. And uh, I found that I had a problem. Now, when I tell you what that problem is, you're, you're not going to think it's much of a big deal, but just hear me out. The problem was that it was time to get up and go to church, but that was the last thing in the world that I wanted to do in that moment. Now, again, I, I know you're thinking, yeah, big deal, Drew. We've, we've all had those moments. We've all had those days when we don't feel like getting out of bed, when we don't feel like getting up and getting around and getting to church. We've all been there, and that's true, but, but this felt like, like something more than a moment. This, this felt like, like a pattern, like an attitude or an overall mindset about church, not a not an attitude of anger or frustration or anything, more, more one of apathy, of boredom. And, and uh, the, to make things a little bit more complicated, the, the college dorm room that I was waking up in in that moment was at Ozark Christian College, where I was preparing to go into a life of full-time vocational pastoral ministry in the church, right? So essentially, I was going to be going to church full-time, right? That was going to be my job description, was go to church. And here I am, one year out from graduating, and I'm about to jump into this ministry world, and yet I don't want to go to church. Something about that's not sitting right in me. Something's wrong here. It hadn't always been that way. Like, for, for most of my time at college, I, I was involved in, and enjoyed church. I, I spent the first couple years, freshman and sophomore year, going to this uh, big church on the outside of town, Christ Church of Warnoga. It was kind of known as the one that, that all the college students wanted to go to because it had the cool, cutting-edge worship music. It was doing songs by this new, edgy artist, Chris Tomlin. And, uh, and so us college students loved to go there and, and, and sing along there. But also, I actually, I had family there at, at that church. And so I would go and I would sit with them, aunts and uncles, cousins, and then sometimes even go home and spend the Sunday afternoon with them. And I really enjoyed it. And in my junior year, actually, I was involved here at Sunnybrook. Uh, I, I had spent the summer before doing a youth internship with Paul Weiss and Drew Henderson, and, and then there was this kind of need that had arisen uh, uh, that fall for a children's ministry, for someone to help with children's ministry. And so uh, Pam Carpenter and myself began to lead that ministry, and we'd take that on. I would drive three hours every weekend from Joplin to Stillwater to go help lead Kids Church over in the gym. But when I did that, this just shows you the level of commitment that I had to this place, okay? I did not come and lead Kids Church as Drew Moss, cool college student. I came and led Kids Church as Humphrey the Camel, okay? And you can ask Pam about this. I, which this means I legitimately, I put on a camel costume every Sunday morning in the little chair closet back there that was backstage, and I would go back in the chair closet, put on this camel costume, and I would go out and do kids' church in a costume with like a goofy voice, and I even had a personal dance to go with the costume, okay? It was called the Humphrey Hop, and I know what you're all thinking right now, ooh, is he going to show us the Humphrey Hop? Absolutely not, okay? No, Listen. I need to maintain some level of respect from you people as I try to finish this sermon, so I'm not going to do that for you, okay? But I would come and I would, I would help with kids' church and do that, and I, I enjoyed it, and I loved being a part of this church. But then I went away that summer. I went overseas, 
When I came back, there wasn't a need here for that, and, and I didn't really have a church that I had been connected to for some time, and I found myself uh, just kind of drifting, and I found myself, as I said, not wanting to go. I still did. I, I'd get up, and I'd, I'd kind of slip into the service right as it was beginning or maybe a little bit late there in the back, and then as soon as the service was over, I'd make my way out as soon as possible, kind of get in my car and go home. But, but I, I kept wondering inside of me, what, what is this thing? What is wrong with me? Why don't I want to be here? Have you ever been there? You know that feeling? I know there are probably some of you in this room who are battling and in the middle of that feeling. And I can remember, I actually don't know exactly when it was that it dawned on me and, and what I'm about to say, I'm not saying that this is the answer to everybody's problems and that this fixes it for, any, for everybody, but I know that this was the issue for me, is one day I realized that the reason that I did not like church very much is because what I was doing was not church. What I was doing there at the beginning of my senior year was uh, attending a service. What I was doing was singing some songs and listening to a sermon. What I was doing was ticking a box on my spiritual to-do list each week, and I was getting it done, but I wasn't doing church. I hear me. I, I believe that those things, I believe this moment right here, the gathering of God's people to come and worship in his presence, that this is incredibly important. I believe that this is more significant and profound than even we know in a lot of ways. So I believe this is important, but this in and of itself is not church. This is something the church does, but this is not church. Church is not a service that I attend. Church is a body that I am integrated into. It's a body that I am deeply attached to and connected to. At least that is the way that the New Testament describes it over and over again. There are a lot of metaphors and analogies that the Bible uses to describe the church, and that's what we're actually going through. As Max said, we've talked about the bride. We've talked about it being a building. We'll talk about it being a holy priesthood and a family of God and all those things. But none of those metaphors or analogies gets used nearly as often as the one we're talking about today, the body of Christ. Over and over again, the New Testament calls us that, and it spends quite a bit of time expounding on that in some places. It uses this metaphor or analogy for different reasons, depending on the text. Sometimes when Paul talks about the church being a body, he's doing that to stress the, the unity and the oneness that there is in us. Like in Ephesians 4, when it says that there is one body, just as there is one spirit and one baptism and one faith and one hope and one Lord and all of those things, there's a oneness to the entire church universal. Sometimes when it uses this body imagery, it uses it to, to talk about Christ's authority over us, that Christ is the head of the church, which is his body, so Christ has authority over the church. Sometimes it's meant to display like the intimate connection that Jesus has with his people. Like in 1 Corinthians 6, when Paul says that it's crazy and sick for me to join myself to sexual sin because I am then joining Christ's own body into sexual sin. But the place where Paul spends the most time talking about this whole idea of the body is 1 Corinthians 12, the text that we just heard read to us today. 
It's a text that did not come from nowhere. It was sparked by this controversy that was taking place in the Corinthian church at the time. Just a little bit of background for you. The city of Corinth and the culture of Corinth at large was very fascinated by impressive things and by important people. And they always had a number of different ways of kind of categorizing and creating a hierarchy of those things that were important and those things that weren't. Those people that were impressive and those things were weren't. And so they would divide by uh, economic class or by social class and they would divide by the people that they thought were really impressive and were really good speakers and those who weren't. And this mindset had kind of infected and made its way into the young church there in Corinth. And so if you read 1 and 2 Corinthians, both of these letters, you will see over and over again that there are all kinds of dividing lines that the Corinthians have drawn up amongst themselves to show who was really important, who really mattered. And one of the areas that this takes place in is in the area of spiritual gifts. This, this truth that we learn from here and other places that all believers, when, person, when a person comes to Christ, that the Holy Spirit gifts every believer with a gift of some kind, with an ability of some kind that can be used for the building up of the church. And the Corinthians really liked this idea, but they were particularly fascinated by what we might call the more flashy gifts. The ones that were kind of standing out in front of other people, particularly and especially the gift of tongues. This ability to speak in other languages that you do not know, whether those might be human languages of some kind or perhaps some sort of angelic language that was kind of spoken in an ecstatic moment of, of kind of joy and experience of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Corinthians have decided that those who had this gift, well, those were the really spiritual people. Those were the really important people. Those are the people who clearly they knew God better than everybody else. Clearly they were more mature because look at this experience that they are having. And Paul writes this chapter and 1 Corinthians 13 and chapter 14 to set the record straight on this. That every gift that any believer has, it has nothing to do with them. It doesn't come from my own spirituality. It doesn't come from my own maturity. It doesn't come from me being more important. It comes from the same source for all of us, and that is God himself. That it is his Holy Spirit who gives those things to us. Look again at what he says in verse 4. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. And a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. He uses this same different pattern back and forth to say, yes, your gift is different, but they all come from the same place, and that place is God, and it's his Holy Spirit who gives those to us. And then he goes through and he starts listing off these different gifts. It doesn't matter, he says, if it's healing, it doesn't matter if it's the gift of faith, it doesn't matter if it's the gift of tongues or the ability to give a word of knowledge or wisdom, all of that comes from the Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 12 gives, there's a number of places where the Bible lists spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. Okay, those, those places. But 1 Corinthians 12 is the most extensive of all of them. And so most of the time when we come to 1 Corinthians 12, the reason people are here, the reason we're teaching from it, is to teach about spiritual gifts. Which, which makes sense because there's so much in here about them. But, but if we're not careful, we can miss Paul's main point. The main point of 1 Corinthians 12, the reason Paul writes this, is not to explain spiritual gifts to us. 
He's not trying to explain how each one works and what you're supposed to do with them and kind of give us all the different categories. No, no. The main purpose of 1 Corinthians 12 is to, to convey this point to us, unity in diversity. That the church is a organization that is marked by this truth, unity in diversity, that even though we are made up of many different kinds of people with many different kinds of gifts and many different kinds of backgrounds or classes or races or whatever it is, that there is still one cohesive unit that we all make up. And this is where the body talk comes in. I know that some of you might be wondering, I've already been asked several times, are you doing like a knife-throwing demonstration up here or something like that? No, not a knife, just, just an illustration for you. The thing that makes the body such a perfect metaphor for what Paul is trying to describe is that there is nothing else in the universe that explains or embodies, if you will, unity and diversity. A body is one not in spite of its many different parts and many different organs. They're not obstacles to oneness. It's actually the manyness of the body that leads to the oneness. It's one because there's many different parts, because there's a diversity of functions within the body. And so Paul will use this metaphor all the way through the chapter. And as he does and as he explains it, there are two key principles that come into view. And these are the principles that I want us to kind of settle in on this morning and make sure we get our minds around and our hearts around as we talk through these things. The first one is this, I need the church. That's not a very popular idea today. In a time and culture, a time and culture where individual choice is lifted up as the ultimate value for our generation that the most important thing that you can do, that the most authentic thing that you can do is find your own path in life and to not allow others, any sort of other group or organism kind of press their own way on you, but that you figure things out for you. That because that is considered one of the like, most important things, it's no surprise that that makes its way into our spirituality and that that has made its way into even Christianity. That what matters most is just my own personal walk with the Lord. And you can actually see how this could work. And, and on the surface, Christianity does really seem to fit with this idea of an individual pursuit of God. Because we believe, the Bible teaches, that the Holy Spirit, God himself, comes and resides in each individual person when they become a believer in Christ. And if that's true, if God himself is in me, and through that, that means that I can have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe, that I can know him personally and relate to him, then what need do I have then for some kind of institution to be able to relate to him? Why would I need some kind of organization, some sort of group or body to kind of surround me in my walk with God? Doesn't that seem to almost even get in the way? It's actually... A, the way a lot of people see it today, that the church is just, it just gets in the way of what Jesus is really all about. That religion just cuts through what relationship is meant to be in the Christian life. But that's not the way that the Bible sees it. That's not the way that Paul sees it. Look what Paul says in verse 12, jumping down to 12. He says, For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. 
For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. So if it's true, what Paul says there in verse 12, that all the parts of the body, though many, make up one body, that means that I cannot come and just remove myself from that body without cost. Like we know physically that if we see this in real life, that this isn't healthy, that a hand isn't made to be separated from the body. But the truth is this works just as well for us in the church, that there is no way for me to sever myself from this body without doing great harm to myself, without doing great damage to myself. It doesn't work that way. That's not the way that things were designed. And we also even know that there is no way that we can actually do this, that I don't get to come and just connect here by myself to the head, right? That doesn't work. No, it's meant to be like this. And that's the other thing that's important to remember. We're not just talking about some body generically. We're talking about someone's body. We're talking about Jesus' body. Did you notice? Did you notice what Paul did in verses 12 and 13? There are two different statements in 12 and 13 where it looks like Paul is going to land a certain way, and then at the last minute he curves and takes a different direction, something that you might not have expected. Look at verse 12 again. He says, For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, here's where he's supposed to say, so also is the church. Because that's the, that's the analogy he's making, church and body, but that's not what he says, is it? so also is Christ. And then he does it again, only he reverses and flips the other way in verse 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit into, and here's where you would expect him to say, baptized into Christ, because that's what he says in Romans 6, that when you become a Christian, you are baptized into Christ. And that's what he says in Galatians 3, that all of us were baptized into Christ. But here he doesn't say that. Here he says we were baptized into the body. So which is it, Christ or the church that we're baptized into? And you know the answer. Yes, that to be baptized into Jesus is to be baptized into his body. And the reason Paul uses in verses 12 and 13 the body and Christ interchangeably is not because they're the exact same thing, right? We clearly know that Christ is the head and he reigns over us in the body, but because they are so closely associated to one another. Don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus and his body, Jesus and his church, they're a package deal. That they go together. The truth is this, that when I signed on to Jesus, I signed on to you. The truth is when you signed on to Jesus, you signed on to me. And you signed up for every other brother and sister in this room together with you. Now, that might sound like an inconvenience to you. That may sound like a raw deal, like some kind of bait and switch. I didn't know I was signing up for all these people. I just wanted Jesus. But the New Testament never talks about the church that way. It never talks like the, like the church is some sort of inconvenient add-on that we've got to try to figure out as we try to follow Jesus. Now, instead, if it talks about it, it talks about it like this 
beautiful thing, like this gift thing. Jesus says in Mark 10, good news for any of you who ever have to give up brothers or sisters or mother or fathers or your possessions or your home or your friends because you follow me. The good news, Jesus says, is you will get a hundred times as much back in this life through my people, the church. This is the way that the Bible describes the church. And according to the end of verse 13, he's not just talking here about different gifts and different abilities. What does he say here? That we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. So the issue, as we said, is not gifts. The issue is diversity as a whole, that the church is meant to be a place where people, not just of different gifts, but of different races are able to come together, of different opinions are able to come together, of different personalities and backgrounds are able to come together. The church is supposed to be a place where people who've got no business hanging out and being in fellowship with one another come together as one body. And that that's not just kind of a cool part about the church, but that that's somewhat critical to what the church is. As a man once said to the, Method, uh, to the Methodist founder, John Wesley, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. That is, you will not find lone wolf Christianity anywhere in the New Testament where it's just me and Jesus doing our thing and I'm growing as I learn to follow and walk with him. No, more often what you see is that the Christian life and maturity is talked about in ways like this from Ephesians 4. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. That as we come together and each of us use our gifts that we grow together into maturity as we are growing towards Jesus together. And that leads me actually to the second main point that we get from this metaphor and analogy, and that's this, that the church needs me. Verse 14, Paul says this, Indeed, the body is not one part but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And catch this, but as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? So it appears that in the church there at Corinth, it wasn't just those people who had the flashy gifts who assumed that they were better than everybody else. That it was actually the people who didn't have the flashy gifts, who didn't have the out in front or the noticeable kind of gifts, that those people also thought speaking in tongues was better. And so it appears that there were people in the church going, listen, I, I don't do the flashy things. I don't perform miracles. I don't speak in tongues. I don't do that stuff. So I guess I'm not needed here. And I think that this temptation is one that kind of uh, runs across all Christians and all churches, kind of in all different places. We just sometimes have different versions of it and different gifts that we tend to hold up. In Corinth, and in more charismatic churches today, it's things like speaking in tongues 
and gifts of healings and those kinds of things, those are seen as the ultra gifts. Those are seen as the super spiritual ones. In, in churches like ours, it's probably more likely to be gifts like uh, uh, pastoral gifts or preaching and teaching to get up and do what Jim does week in, week out, or, or gifts that have to do with like counseling people or, or music and the ability to lead people in worship. And, and we have a tendency to come and sit in a room like this and look up at people on the stage and go, I can't do that, so I guess I'm not needed here. I, I don't know how to do those kinds of things. I'm not real gifted in serving with kids, or I don't know how to talk to people in front of people, so I guess I'm not really needed. I don't know where, where I fit. Paul says this, that there is no such thing as a member of the body that is not needed. He makes this clear all the way through that every one of those things are needed. If a foot were to remove itself from the body, just like this hand, we talked about it, we already clarified that this is not healthy for the limb that gets removed, that there is something that is not good. This suffers and does harm to itself when it removes it. But here's the truth. This isn't the only thing that suffers. The whole body suffers. Everyone loses over here when this foot chooses to remove itself from the body. The whole thing has to adjust. Everything doesn't, or nothing works quite the way that it's supposed to, to work. Verse 20, Paul says this. As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. Well, Paul wants us to know what I want to say to you today, brothers and sisters, is we need you. We need your presence here. There are brothers and sisters in this room that need your involvement in their lives, not just in these walls, but outside of these walls. We need your gifts and abilities. However small or insignificant you may think they are, we need those things. We need them at work here in this building, and we need those things out there in the community fulfilling the mission that God has given to us. We need those things. We talk a lot about membership here at Sunnybrook. As a matter of fact, we've been going through this Be the Church series or this Be the Church kind of uh, class that's been taking place on Saturdays, and then there's one more here tonight where we're talking through what the church is and what membership is. I don't know if you know this, but we get that word member, to be a church member, largely from chapters just like this, 1 Corinthians 12. Now, if you look at your text, if you've got the CSB right here, you're not going to see the word member come up very much. I think it only comes up three times in here. Uh, you're not going to see it very much. But if you were to go back to like the King James Version, some of the older English translations, that word member, every time you see part, like a part of the body, the word member actually is what's in there. Because there was a time when we would use the word member to describe organs or to describe digits or to describe limbs. Member met a body part. And that's the idea we have in mind when we talk about church membership. The unfortunate thing is today when we think of member, we think of something more like members in a club or members on a committee or members of society, which is not at all what the Bible has in mind and it's not what we have in mind. See, what happens when a member leaves a club? Not very much. The club shrinks in size. That's what happens, and that's about all. What happens, though, when a member leaves the body, when you're not a part of us? Well, we don't just shrink in size. We shrink in our ability to function. 
We shrink in our ability to fulfill the mission that God has given us. And the same actually goes when members are here, but they're not involved. When members show up, but they don't connect themselves. And and I, I want to be careful with the way I say these things, and I hope that it does not sound, I hope that you're able to catch our heart in this. I know that there are a number of people in this room who, who may be here regularly on a Sunday who have not fully connected, and that there's a number of reasons for that. Maybe, maybe you're new, and you're still trying to get the lay of the lane and kind of figure out what this whole thing's about and how you want to get plugged in and what that looks like, and we totally get that. And maybe for some of you, it's just been a weird year to try to connect anywhere because, you know, 2020. And it's just made everything kind of tough to kind of figure out and get a rhythm. And I totally get that. And maybe some of you at one point were more connected and invested and involved in this body, but you found yourself less so in recent years. We understand, and I hope you know this, that we're thrilled you're here. We're glad that you're here showing up on a Sunday morning. We hope that you'll continue, but I also hope that at some point you'll be able to find a means towards involving yourself in the life of this body and serving, because I believe this, that when you do, we'll all get stronger, because that's the way God's made it. That's the way God designed it to work, that he placed you here with a specific kind of ability, with a specific kind of personality that will build us up and make this body stronger as you involve yourself with us, and not just that you'll make yourself stronger as well. This is what I finally began to figure out my senior year of college. When I finally kind of realized what the problem was, the way I had been seeing church, I went and I called up my cousin who had just recently taken this youth ministry job at a little church in Cassville, Missouri, about an hour outside of Joplin. And I asked him, man, do you need any help at all with with that church? He said, sure, man, we could use you in the youth group. You can come as a sponsor. You can help lead worship for our youth service thing. And I didn't even have to wear a costume to do it, right? And so I signed on, and I I came, and I went and began to work with him and help him there. And I I would go to this little church. We would get up early on Sunday morning to make the drive, and we'd often stay in Cassville all day long because it wasn't worth it to drive back to Joplin and then come back for the youth service, so we would stay there. And it was this little bitty country church. And the preaching was not that great. It was kind of boring sometimes. And the music was often pretty bad. But I loved it. I loved it because it wasn't just a service that I was attending. It was a body that I had joined myself to. It was something that I was integrated in and involved. And and I'm not trying to say that that's going to be the issue for you. I'm not promising that if you'll just jump in, it will fix everything. I know that community can be tricky sometimes that there are deep wounds associated with church for some people, that there are personality conflicts that get in the way of community for some people. But, but you know what? That's actually true of most of our closest relationships in life, that there are wounds that take place in things like marriage, that there are definitely personality conflicts that take place with our kids, and sometimes even with some of our best friends. But those kinds of relationships can also be the most life-giving. When done right, those things can give us the most life, and that is what we want for you. That's what we want church to be for you. That's what it's meant to be, a community where God uses me to love and encourage and build up others in his church and where the same is happening in my own life. And it's not meant to be a chore, although sometimes it will feel like that, and that's okay. And it's not just meant to be a spiritual to-do list, though it might sometimes feel like that. It's meant to be a gift that God has given to us, and we want you to experience that here. Before I wrap up, 
just want to take a few minutes to address a couple things that might be going through your mind, because like I said, I know that there are a lot of people who are coming from different places in this room, and so there may be some kind of what-ifs that have been popping up in your mind. So I just want to take a few minutes and, and address three what-ifs um, that, that, that may be on your mind a little bit. The first is this. What if I don't know where to start? What if, what if Drew, I've been here, I'm here, but I don't know people here. Like, I don't have friends at this church. I barely know anybody. I don't have community in this place. Like, what am I supposed to do? I don't even know how to begin with those things. Well, I will say, we talk about the connection card each week. One of the great little first steps you could take if you're trying to figure out how to get plugged in and where to get involved is filling out one of those connection cards and dropping it in the box. And one of the ministers on staff would love to contact you and talk to you about that. But... Here's the rule of thumb that we give our students most often. When we send college students off and they graduate and they go into other different uh, churches, we always tell them this, Sunday morning plus one thing. That's the best way to start in getting plugged in. That is that you will make it a priority to be at church on Sunday morning to gather together with God's people and not just slip in and out, but actually meet some people and talk to some people. So Sunday morning goes without saying, but then plus one thing. And it's that one thing that often makes a difference. That one thing could be joining a life group, or it could be getting involved in a Sunday school, or joining a women's woven Bible study, or joining Men's Connect once a month on Saturday morning. Whatever that one thing may be, it's Sunday morning plus one thing, and I hope that that may be a good start for you. Second is this, what if I don't know what my gift is? That's a lot of us, right? Today, we don't so much worry about whether my gift is good enough or whether it's worthwhile. A lot of times, we don't even know what that is. And if you don't know what that is, that can be a hard thing, and I, I get that. Here's what I would tell you. There are assessments and stuff that you can use to try to help you in this process. In fact, we've got something called place here at the church that is meant just for that, and it would be a great first step for you. But I really believe that the best way to begin discovering this is just to start just to jump in somewhere and start serving and see where God might use you, see what things you might enjoy doing. Don't get caught up in the word spiritual and get confused by that, thinking that your gift has to be something really theological or really supernatural or those things. The Bible describes things like the gift of helping as a spiritual gift. It describes things like giving, that there are some people who are blessed by God for the sake of blessing others with generosity, or the gift of administration and leadership and organization. Those kinds of things find some way to jump in. I also want to say this. This is why it's really valuable for us in the church to tell people when God has used them and their giftings to bless us. Sometimes that's the best way that we find out how God has gifted us is by other brothers and sisters saying, I see this in you. I was encouraged by this when you did this, by the way you served us, by the way you discipled my kids, by those kinds of things, letting people know those things. Last, what if I'm in a stage of life where serving is difficult? And I know that there's a lot of that in this room, that there are some of you who are maybe young parents, young moms who are up to your neck in diapers and in bottles and in trying to keep a sleep schedule or not sleeping at all or those kinds of things. Or maybe there's some of you who are at a later stage in life and you don't quite have the abilities that maybe you had at one point to be able to get down and pick up two-year-olds in a nursery and those kinds of things. And you go, where do I fit? And I get that. And, and I don't want to leave you feeling guilty for not being able to, in a given period of time, serve like maybe you want to. I want to encourage you, though, that first of all, that you wouldn't withdraw, that you would lean into the community in your tiredness instead of leaning away from it. 
and that you might be able to find ways to serve that look different. We need people who will give their time to praying for us, to praying for the ministries in this church, to praying for individuals in this church. We need people who will give themselves to encouraging the body through writing notes or through stopping people in the hallway and sharing good things with them. We need those kinds of things. Whatever you do, please don't withdraw. We need one another, so let us hold fast to one another. We want to be the kind of people who will give grace to one another rather than living in bitterness towards one another. May we not let bitterness or apathy or boredom or fear take hold in us, but instead may we, just as Paul says in Ephesians 4, may we grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body grows. And may this body build itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Over the next couple of minutes, we're going to throw some reflection questions up on the screen for you to take just a minute thinking on those and asking what God may want to be saying to you at this time before we go into a time of worship together. <laughs>